the project. Kuwait. Learn. Biofeedback is the study of how the body is functioning in any given moment. It's using immediate information and feeding it back to the individual. I like the idea of hanging it up on the wall, creating a little closet for yourself if you can get the red lights for that. There's a lot of Olympic athletes that are using this technology. A lot of teams are utilizing more biofeedback. If you ain't testing, you're guessing. I love doing meditation. Two of my favorite forms would be progressive muscle relaxation. It's one of the world's most perfect detoxes, as I call it. The more that you can ingrain those neural pathways to perform, the easier it is for the body to perform. All this and more in today's episode. All right, guys, welcome Shantae and Jim Getz of Functionized Integrative Therapeutics, or FIT, out of New Jersey. Uh, they're here to talk to us today about a little bio neurofeedback. So welcome, you guys. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us. Yeah, super stoked. <laughs> yeah, guys, thanks for jumping on. I mean, biofeedback, something like Meg said earlier, we haven't really dabbled in in Kuwait. Like, yeah, I feel like it's something even kind of relatively new. I'm new back to the States after just a few months, but um, something still that's relatively new back here. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear how you guys got turned on to it and what the sort of growth process has been for you guys at FIT. Absolutely. Sure. I got turned on to it because of Shantae. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't like guinea pigs in my, uh, my master's program. So I started doing a lot of research when I finished my master's in sports psychology because I wanted to know not necessarily talking athletes to better performance, but how can they physically reach new levels of performance and doing a lot of research and going through my classwork. I came across biofeedback and I started looking into it in terms of rehabilitation and how it can enhance and further the rehabilitation process, I specifically studied ACL tears. You know, a lot of athletes, and it's a very yeah. difficult injury to come back from. Well, incorporating biofeedback, and I'll explain a little bit more about it throughout, helps the whole injury process. So now you're getting back stronger, faster, and it's just an overall easier process. So I continued. I'm happy through my PhD in applied psychophysiology because I wanted to further my knowledge on biofeedback. And then I came into neurofeedback, um, heart rate variability, audiovisual entrainment, which it's a whole other game changer for a lot of athletes and professionals and just everyday life. So I'm excited to share the different ways to enhance performance using technology. Can you explain real quick, what is biofeedback? What is neurofeedback? Like the differences of those, the heart rate variability, like just kind of give a little pulse on what each of, Absolutely. Each of those are. So biofeedback is the study of how the body is functioning in any given moment. It's using immediate information and feeding it back to the individual. So you can study heart rates or skin conductance, the sweat levels that the body has, how your breathing patterns are. Muscle tension is a big one. So a lot of people don't realize they might be super tense and have extra tension in the jaw or the traps anywhere in the body that's impeding performance. So putting the sensors on the appropriate body parts now lets you see how your body's responding and what's going on. And then giving you those immediate cues as to how to change what's happening within the body. So it brings that mind-body awareness right in front of your face. So now you can actually see what's transpiring. Taking the neurofeedback, that's specifically studying how the brain functions. So it's EEG biofeedback. So it's all on brain waves and thought patterns and learning how the body can respond to boost up a certain area of the brain or inhibit something that might be firing too much. So once again, using real-time immediate feedback allows a person to gain control over their physiology and then improve performance based on what's not functioning properly. Going into, it, it's amazing. So heart rate variability feeds into the biofeedback. It's studying the breath rate, the way that we breathe. Focus that in combination to your heart rate. So when your heart rate and your breath rate are in sync, you have a higher variability. You're more adaptable to the situations, to training, to 
sleeping to performing. So learning how to breathe properly and seeing and identifying your ideal breath rate, your resonant frequency breathing rate to be scientific, you know, it's a game changer for so many people. Totally. I think in the Uh, mindfulness piece, like movement, mindfulness, and nutrition are the three pieces that I focus on with my groups and clients. And I, the mindfulness always starts with the breath. I just like, it's not something we ever learned. Like you just did it, (laughs) you know? And so to go back and to get help people kind of tap into just the power that that can have for so many other things that you talked about of just, you know, uh, releasing tension or mindset or all of it. It's just incredible. So now to have this like tool where you can, some people are just more visual learners, right? And so to see that like right in front of your face is just so impressive. And you're just totally speaking my language right now. And I'm really excited to get into this. I love it. I I, I tell people, I don't have to write a prescription for it. You know, it's free. There's rarely a side effect of breathing, you know, exactly. (laughs) it's such a powerful tool. So a quick jock question here. I don't know if you've had any experience with Athos. I think it's um, uh, clothes that have sensors on them that gives you direct biofeedback as you're working out to show muscle activation. Have you had any experience with that? Have you seen any of those? I know it's really expensive. It came on the market a few years ago. So There is a lot of more wearable technologies that are coming out. I personally have not had the pleasure to utilize that technology. So I cannot attest to the accuracy or the readings that they're giving, but I know that it's amazing what you can pick up in now wearable technologies. Incredible. Going back to what you said about like the neurofeedback as well as thought patterns and that being able to pick up on that. And this is something also going along with like the injury recovery. I was a swimmer. It was my sport all through college. Yay! Awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're new best friends. (laughs) But I remember we did a lot of visual imagery in high school. Our coach had introduced us to us and we all thought it was ridiculous in the beginning. We all looked at it as an opportunity just to nap on deck before (laughs) we could get in the pool. But, but the more we got into it and the more seeing that, and this is something I, I try to coach with people as well is that you're, and you can correct me if this is a totally wrong way of stating it, but like we have a really hard time knowing of what's real and what's, you know, imagine like that you visualize something that makes you very happy and your body will physically respond that way. You visualize something that makes you scared and your body will respond that way. Right. So sometimes just the act of just visualizing some of those things. So is that, you know, kind of a piece of, of going through this? Is that how you test like those thought patterns is like, do you give them a scenario or how does that, how do you Absolutely. see the thought patterns? Now, I mean, you're spot on. And that's one of my favorite tools within sports psychology is mental imagery. Taking an athlete in gymnastics, for instance, our daughter was USAG. So she's doing gymnastics her entire life. Well, beam routines, for instance, it's a lot of visualization, a lot of mental rehearsal. The more that you can ingrain those neural pathways to perform, the easier it is for the body to perform. So in incorporating biofeedback with that, it's one of my favorite combinations. And I'm so glad you brought this up because you can, the sensors to them, you can guide them through a mental imagery. And now you can see what's lighting up. You can see how their breath rate changes if they're experiencing a stressful situation. You know, you might notice more muscle tension and then you work to untrain that conditioned response and walk them through it and then be able to see how their body's adapting as you're talking about a specific situation. So you're absolutely right in that you can talk yourself into it or you can talk yourself out of it and visualizing and now seeing how that visualization is creating that physiological response. Right. And this is beyond a sport performance. Like I'm thinking, you know, going into like a hard conversation with somebody, <laughs> you know, like we always imagine it way worse than what it actually is. Uh-huh. It's like, what a helpful a way to just visualize and see that. So I'm excited. Yeah, and anytime I used to, I'll still do work with whether it's a pro athlete or just an executive, getting them to focus on just that one thing to do, whether any movement, say here, that's one thing. And perhaps they can get it together just slightly enough to perform that one time after their day has been all over the place. They get a million things going on. They have that on field or in boardroom performance. But once they start working with Shantae, she really takes that one time thing. And literally the brain gets retrained and the changes are so noticeable. I suppose like, is it just like one session and people, it kind of clicks? Is it like, what's like a a program, I guess? Average is with biofeedback um, between 10 and 12 sessions. 
you know, you start to learn how the body works and you can use the stuff we do in office and then take it home. You know, I send people home with homework because you're only going to get better the more you practice with any sport, with anything in life, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And then it becomes automatic. And that's what we look to do is to have these changes become automatic. With neurofeedback, it depends on what they're looking to transition from. Some, it can be 20 sessions up to 40 sessions. The brain takes a little bit, you know, if you're specifically focusing on attention or, you know, sleep regulation, you know, things of that nature, it can take a little bit longer. But with the heart rate variability, a lot of athletes are experiencing great success and long-term sustainability after 10 to 12 sessions of learning how to breathe properly and balance that autonomic nervous system. So you have that fight or flight, you know, your sympathetic dominance, and then your rest and digest, your parasympathetic, when you can get out of that sympathetic and constantly stressed states, focusing on the breath rate and using your heart rate variability training, your whole world will change. Mm -hmm. You know, the thinking patterns, the way that you approach a situation, being mindful, you know, bringing that mental clarity, that awareness to the moment is very important. That's amazing. Maddie, when you kind of tested your heart rate variability, did you, I guess, what kind of things did you pick up on? Definitely helped with injuries. I mean, I was very injury prone, you know, a few years ago when I first started getting back into the gym scene, you know, after not going to the gym for like six or seven years getting back into it, going full throttle, you get hurt here and there. And then, you know, I stumbled upon heart rate variability and, you know, I was like, all right, well, let me try this out. So it ended up, mm-hmm. you know, the chest strap and I, I stuck to it. I was doing this for like four or five months religiously. I loved it because on the days where I did feel good, it would say, no, you know, you're not in a state to train because it would give you that rating system. Mm -hmm. And even though I felt good, it was like, all right, you know what? Let me listen to it because this is obviously my body telling me something. And when I looked at the data, my heart rate was a lot higher that morning versus that. And then I dabbled a little bit with after I ate foods to see what my, you know, what happened with my heart rate, especially in terms of digestion, see how accurate it really was, but scientifically, mm-hmm. I wasn't there to understand it. <laughs> I mean, I stuck to the simple thing wake up in the morning, it gives me a five, don't go train, it gives me a seven or an eight. All right, hit the gym, gives me a 10, hit the gym hard that day. Did you uh, actually start recording and writing down and what your variability was and the workouts you were doing and perhaps your nutrition and perhaps even things that you were doing in your life so you could? start to hit those days of peak performance when you wanted to more often not? Yeah, when when I was really taking it seriously, because I, you know, I play baseball my whole life and then I was playing adult league baseball too. So I was trying to really... Oh, you're his alley now. All right, there we go. <laughs> hey, we, we, we can have a whole episode, man, on baseball talk, all right? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially <laughs> rehab and recovery, because uh, I've dealt with it all, you know? But when I was taking it really seriously, I did try to monitor and track as much as possible when it came to sleep, my activities during the day, the type of workouts. I mean, I was doing not a bro split, but close enough to it where it was more of a push-pull. So I noticed that on my pull days, my recovery rate was like, it was horrible. I'd wake up and it would be like a two when I got up. So it was like a really bad recovery rate. So I... I monitored as best as I could, mm-hmm. obviously not with, you know, the professional guidance like yourselves, but I mean, it did wonders for me in all honesty. Well, there's a lot to be said for learning when to push it hard, when to take it slow, because there's that finding that proper balance of performance stress, you know, your good stress, the use stress and that rest, which is going to equal the success overall of what you're doing. So many times, and Jim sees it all the time, people wanting to overtrain and say, no, I know I have to get this. I have to do that. But when your body is telling you, you're not in the best shape to do so, you know, you're really smart to take that advice of what your body's telling you and utilize some other modalities, you know, have a stretching session, do long, slow cardio, you know, something that you're still moving, but now you're not taxing your autonomic nervous system. I have a question with this. With like, so you wake up like Maddie Francis, like he gets this number and it says you're not in the mood or the shape or whatever, you know, to train. (laughs) 
but yet he says that he feels okay. So like over time, I guess, and going through this process and getting that feedback, do you start to tap into more of like the body sensations and being able to recognize that without a number, you know, without like the, yes. the tool or like, how do you get that? So I imagine that like a diet plan, you know, of like people who become obsessed with like counting the calories, counting the macros. <laughs> and then over time, they don't know how to portion out a meal without that. And it becomes kind of disordered eating. So like, at what point do you kind of transition from that information, that mind muscle connection, or, you know, really understanding without the tools? I like having my clients use it for a month mm-hmm. because getting, you know, consistent readings on a daily basis, same time every morning, you know, if you want to do it midday, I love having people track it after a workout so that now you're getting that comparison from what you woke up to and then you have your workout. Okay, now what's the body telling you? You know, how well is it recovering? And getting that information for, you know, a month and then utilizing you know, the heart rate variability training and, and the proper breath work. Now tapering it back, say maybe you do once a week and then you tell me what you're feeling and we'll see how close it matches because it's all about building that internal awareness. Yeah. You know, and obviously keeping on monitors 365 days a year is a little bit cumbersome and probably not realistic to adhere to, you know, life happens. But that initial 30 days, I think is crucial to get the most information possible and then build something specific to that individual. Tell people all the time, you can't feel anything. Research backs it up. You can't feel, even if, say, the four of us right now had our eyes blindfolded and we were feeling some object, we would all describe it most likely somewhat differently. So when people tell me, I know how I feel, I know how I feel, just no, you don't. Research proves that. But you can absolutely become more in tuned over some time, but it does take time in order for the neuroplasticity effects to occur. This came from one of my old baseball coaches. He was like, you know, your grip tells you a lot about how you're feeling the day of. And then, you know, I did more research and sure enough, there are grip tests that you can do to judge how strong you're feeling that day. And I didn't have the grip. I don't even know what it's called. So I bought a moment. I got one of those in the corner back there. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I used a scale. Like I actually just used a uh, normal dial scale. And That's awesome. I'd push that. It would say 67 pounds. And I tracked that for about three weeks. So I got my baseline. And then from there, I kind of knew. And even with that, that was like to what Meg was saying after doing it for about two, three months, because I was a little obsessive with it. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of got a good idea of, am I feeling strong today? Is it a PR day? Is it not? Do you? So you guys adhere to that. You guys use that equipment too? Oh, yeah. We, we use a lot of fun equipment. He does most of all the training programs, you know, with everybody with his background. But, you know, we have clients that we share and I'll work on their mental game or their boardroom performance. And they'll tell me like, you know, my, I have really low energy today. We're like, all right. And he adapts the program based around that, you know. When it comes to the dynamometer, we typically use that for neurological deficits and see one side of the body for the other. Most of it comes to injury and then rehab and quantifying along the way. But we pretty much stick to the equipment that Shantae utilizes for the bio-neurofeedback because it's just a little bit more accurate when it comes to exactly what you're talking about with the old school, uh, how are you going to perform today? Are you going to rip it and rip it over the fence or are you going to a couple flares if you're lucky? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You mentioned just for a second neuroplasticity. That's, I just uh, started reading the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. I don't know if that's a good resource. Maybe you can direct me to another one, but that's something that had come up in training that I had done with a group called Fighting Monkey Research. So could you just give a little information, I think, for our listeners on what that actually means? Sure. So the brain has the ability to change the neural pathways. It's not necessarily stuck in one direction. It's multidimensional. So, you know, if you focus on negative thoughts, repetitively doing negative thoughts, you're conditioning yourself to always think in a negative manner. When you start to, you know, we've read a lot of studies on showing gratitude and expressing gratitude throughout the day, your brain patterns change. The way that your neurons fire absolutely change. And you can see it on MRIs, you can see it on other brain scans that there's anatomical changes that transpire based on the way that you feed information to the brain. So you can learn a new task. So many research on stroke victims, for instance, utilizing neurofeedback 
you can train the good side, but it's going to carry over to the side that was damaged. So by continuously training the side that is functioning, you're helping to condition and train the side that's not functioning. So the brain has this way of communicating throughout that it's not necessarily stuck in one manner. You have the ability to change it. I think that is just so key because we think of it as like this machine and like when a wire goes broke, like you can't get in there and repair that or you can't, but I think, yeah, the idea that you absolutely shift those thoughts. You can't be grateful and angry at the same time. Right. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it goes right along. When you're smiling, right. <laughs> right. I got, oh, I I got a follow-up question on neuroplasticity. I was going to ask this before you, Meg. The halo sport. Yes. Oh, we have one. You have, okay. All right. So it, it's not crazy because like, <laughs> in all honesty, I used to use it religiously and I picked up a lot of different skills. And then when I was trying to learn how to handstand walk, I was like, all right, you know what? I need to break out the old tools. And in all honesty, I saw huge improvements with it. Was it, you know, more of a placebo effect or is it, does it actually work? And what goes on in the brain to make it work? Oh, it absolutely works. So focusing on your sensory motor strip, you know, across your head and fine tuning that, sending the direct signals there, allow the brain to open up and be more receptive. And it enhances a lot of sports specific skills. Well, even the research doing dance moves, you know, on stage and picking up a musical instrument, it just allows the brain to pick up more senses and information stimuli through there. Jim's used it through... I was doing it when I was uh, doing CrossFit, getting ready for the open, and then with powerlifting. I loathed doing deadlifts. Absolutely loathed it. But getting into CrossFit, I realized you got to do deadlifts. And then I uh, wanted to actually increase the weight a lot. My weakness was form. So I would utilize that for form. And I'm not a pro by any means, but I'm certainly happy with the uh, the pounds that are coming up off the floor, at least, I should say. Yeah, we would put it on our daughter on the way to gymnastics practice, you know, mm-hmm. nice 20 minute kind of, you know, before she got there so that when she's done her warm up, she's already Perhaps. mentally fired up and ready to go. Plus the tingles across the head are kind of cool feeling. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's such a weird, weird sensation. It takes a little bit to get used to. But no, I think the Halo Sport is excellent. And I have a colleague that is utilizing that with the military and some of their training as well to help with you know, specific strategic um, training there with the military. I can see it being very helpful for that when you mentioned the yeah. military. But I, even as you were speaking a little bit earlier, I was thinking like you know PTSD and, and things like that. I think that can just be an incredible tool. So we have a lot of other tools. Trauma. And a little uh, quick, just in case you're looking of what not to do. Yeah, so, <laughs> he tests it all. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to stimulate the prefrontal cortex, so I started putting it over the, my forehead, and it will leave you totally bruised. So, uh-huh. of what not to do, do not put it in any area that may mark. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we literally have to try everything before we recommend it to the people we work with. Well, good, uh, good you know, coaches do. Uh, <laughs> in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's very fascinating. Yeah. So what's um, the most fascinating piece of equipment you guys have? Like the most woo-woo, crazy piece of equipment, <laughs> but yet you seem to turn to it. So audiovisual entrainment is my new favorite go-to. Sure. Absolutely. It, it's been a game changer for my clients. It's been a game changer for Jim. And the premise behind it is wearing a headset so you're hearing different binaural beats so now you know you you hear the word dissociation in psychology and it's not a typical word that you want people to experience right to dissociate from reality however in the brain when you're stuck in the negative feedback loop or you know in performance that's being impeded by the monkey brain that busy brain you know where you just can't get out of your own way to be able to dissociate those negative thoughts allows you to come up with new solutions. It helps the brain to get out of its own way. Well, hearing those binaural beats, you know, in each side of the head, that now mimics your heart rate. So now you're getting heart rate variability training with it, combining it with the glasses that you keep your eyes closed. Now it's sending different colored flashes of light through the lenses. Now you're simulating the specific regions of the brain 
to overcome ADD, ADHD, relax, sleep, you know, peak performance. It calms your autonomic nervous system down. And it's been an amazing tool. I combine that with biofeedback. So I have my clients do a session with the AVE for 20, 30 minutes, depending on what it is. And I monitor and see their changes and how their breathing rates and their sweat levels. And now we continue to train because their bodies are primed for new information. This is incredible. Wow. This makes me want to wow. like go back to school now. And <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, what, what device do they use? What is this device? Like, is it a. So, I'll show you guys because you can see it. Yeah. So, the Mind Alive, it's called Mind Alive. The founder, he's been doing research out of Canada. It's amazing the research that's coming out of his institute. It's the David Delight Pro, which is what I have here in the office. It's readily available, you know, to, to the mass population, but. Very psychedelic in nature. Oh, Interesting awesome. looking there it, too. It's, 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 like, <laughs> like, it's like the cool <laughs> snowboard glasses. Yeah. The headphones, and then there's the ear clips. So you can do the cranial electrical stimulation, which is another great thing. You mentioned PTSD before, and I was going to talk about some technologies that are really good for that. Cranial electrical stimulation is one of them. So these little ear clips, these send electrical pulses, which help to, to retrain and simulate the parts of the brain. <laughs> you, you wear you rock the glasses and the headpiece and you sit in my comfy chair or any comfy chair that you have. And nine out of 10 times, my clients fall asleep simply because they are that relaxed. They're dissociating from all those busy brain thoughts, all those negative emotions that are keeping them from their true potential. My newest favorite addition I'm also a big fan of pulsatic magnetic frequency using a product called the Bella B, which stimulates, you know, it's, it's a little wearable headband, goes to the back of the head, but now you're sending magnetic frequencies, not the type that are going to scramble your brain, you know, but the ones that help to just make the synapses and everything fire more efficiently. So it's another technology that they can use. While driving at home, you know, sitting in the car, you know, it doesn't interfere. You plug it into your phone, it works on an app and you just go about your day. But people are sleeping for the first time in 30 years without medication simply by having the PEMF. Wow. I've seen PEMF work for healing injuries throughout the entire body. But once we learned that you can actually use on the brain to change firing patterns, then it's like the best homework someone can do because as Shante was saying, you can do it anywhere, any place, as you're just moving about. You guys, I'm sorry, I do have to take off, but Maddie's going to carry on with you. I'm absolutely gutted that I have to leave this conversation. <laughs> like, I, You'll be missed. <laughs> I, if you had like, yeah, things attached to my brainwaves right now, like I'm under a lot of stress and tension, like having to leave this conversation. But we would love to, to have you guys back, uh, I hope again, another time. But Maddie's going to carry on and get all the rest of the information and questions from you guys. It was so, awesome talking with you. Yes, and, so great you know, to meet you. Call me anytime. We can nerd out on the phone. And, absolutely. You know. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Have fun, you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. See you, Meg. Bye. So going back to this, I mean, because I know the Halo Sport was used by the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and that's what really widely popularized it. I owned it before the Golden State Warrior buzz. <laughs> I mean, but, I think we may have to. Yeah, we had the original one too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the original one, the older one, the older version. I want to yeah. get the new version, but I just. I know too. Just because it's new, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, but I live in Kuwait, so it costs more to ship it here than it does to buy. <laughs> but now with the audio visual and all this stuff, are there any other pro athletes or pro teams that do go to this side of science? to better their game. You know, you hear about it a lot. Are there any notable teams that you can talk about or franchises that you've heard of that have used some more of this or? Um, There's a lot of Olympic athletes that are using this technology. Skiers, there's a lot of, I forget one of the teams that, and I can provide you with the information. I I read the studies all the time on the different, you know, ones that are I can't recall them at the moment. Um, but yes, no, a lot of teams are utilizing more biofeedback. You know, baseball players are utilizing it to improve their swing. A lot of it comes down to the individual decision. Right. It's not like the entire team is saying, all right, guys, every one of you has to. But you'll notice a lot of the guys that come back from injury will utilize it. 
uh, special football players and uh, just a lot of the top athletes, the guys that are going to go above and beyond just because they want to be better than the best. Well, Sidney Crosby was one, I believe, that went through a whole protocol with. He did with uh, functional neurology. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, all the concussion, you know, and. I do know the Dynavision board, another uh, very important tool there. There are some very notable. New England Patriot quarterbacks, I know, that have utilized that. My boy, Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm from, my mother's from Boston. I grew up there. So. I'm noticing a hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the Red Sox. <laughs> so I'm guessing you guys are a Yankees fan? We are. We are. We are. Yeah. Gearing up for the World Series then? We're waiting for tonight. Yep. Oh, there you yeah, go. last night was, was rained out. It's pretty nasty nor'easter that kind of blew through. But I know there's a facility out in Colorado has all this technology as well and work with a lot of the professional teams and players out in Colorado, basketball and baseball out in Colorado. So becoming more popular is definitely not where I feel that it could be, but the direction is getting out there, you know, so I love having the opportunity to talk about being able to improve performance, you know, with, without medications, without drugs, you know, using the mind as the biggest tool in the body to help the body. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of is, is expensive. So for it to be very mainstream, that's what prevents it. I think as it's becoming more and more prevalent and people are getting more comfortable with it, that costs will come down and hopefully it'll be all the way down to the middle school level where individuals are wearing their little PMF unit getting better in that's every a, way. That's, 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 that's amazing. I mean, the first time I heard about a lot of this stuff was actually through baseball with visual training and, you know, yeah. eye training and just how yeah. to pick up, you know, how to pick, I mean, you can attest to this, Jim, like picking up a fastball is one of the hardest things to do, you know, seeing the laces on I the face. Close my eyes, swing, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what happened to me when I was playing college. It was like, yeah, just, <laughs> just close them and hope you can hit the ball. But, um, so uh, what are some of the other new things that are coming out on the forefront to better athletes abilities? Cause I mean, PEDs kind of really, they went on to a whole new level. And the science is getting better to catch it. So now you have a lot of players that are going to the audiovisual, to the, you mm -hmm. know, the mind stuff and meditation. I mean, do you guys practice meditation at all with your athletes? And how can that improve performance? I love doing meditation. Two of my favorite forms would be progressive muscle relaxation. So it's just taking the time to tighten and then relax the various components within the body. So it's like a 30 minute process, but you get the ability to focus on the biceps, you tense them, and then you relax. And now you're building that awareness of what your body feels like when you're tense versus what your body feels like when it's relaxed. So when you find yourself, you know, saying that you're not thinking clearly, you know, you're, you're uptight and you're like, all right, well, let me just take a little moment to kind of do a body scan and say, what's tense, you know, hike your shoulders up and, and then relax and say, oh, wait a second. I was keeping all my tension up there. So that's definitely one of my favorite forms of meditation. Another one would be autogenic training. So it's going through similar process with the other muscle tension, but you're kind of going through a script and focusing on repeating words of, you know, my arms feel heavy, my breath is heavy, and you learn how to self-regulate. So they're, they're tools that you can do on your own. They don't cost you a thing to do, but it builds that mind-body awareness of recognizing what might be the source of a dysfunction of why you're not performing the best in the gym or why you didn't run as far as you could. There's tension somewhere in the body and finding those ways to release it. It's crucial. That's amazing. Yes. I mean, that's really cool to hear. Jim, just out of curiosity, to throw it back to the performance side, like the, the gym side of it. And what type of priming do you do with athletes before they go into a lifting session or a training session? I mean, primers in terms of like whether it's face pulls or whatever. Do you do any of that stuff beforehand or is it just athlete specific? It depends on the actual athlete and what they need. Some will do that. Some will want to do a halo sport as they're going through a dynamic flexibility session, for instance. Others just laugh and be like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, mean, I, so, I, I, I don't even want to bother with that. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I ask because, I mean, a lot of people suffer now from like sleepy, sleepy butt syndrome, you know, and I'm one of them. You know, I sit behind <laughs> a desk all day. It's really hard to activate right. my glutes. So it's like I perform trigger sessions sometimes just to get those muscles, just to get that mm -hmm. those neural pathways firing. 
So can you one talk- thing I will do often for everybody is utilizing the vibration plate and just get them on vibrating at 30 hertz. So the muscles can track and relax 30 times every second. It's really get the blood flowing. Lymphatic tissue is going to be draining throughout the body. It's one of the world's most perfect detoxes, as I call it. But with the extra blood flow, you got to increase oxygenation. Then I start having them do some movements on there. So even if you do have that so-called, as you say, sleepy butt syndrome, you're not going after 10 minutes of literally just standing on there, being on there, because you have so much extra oxygenation in the body. You wake up and warm up, even if you're at their office and it's been a day of notes and marketing. So it's a lot of sitting around. You may just jump up on the vibe plate and you feel like a million bucks when you're done. Oh, really? I haven't tried that. I honestly have not tried that before. That's something I'm inclined to do. I mean, unfortunately, my gym doesn't have it, but it's cool. (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll figure it out somehow. Now, shifting gears a little bit back into the mindset that we were talking about earlier, you know, when you work with athletes, how do you get them into that zone that everybody talks about, that state of flow, so to speak? Like what's... Oh, I love the flows. I, you know, like, like uh, have you read The Rise of Superman? Yes. Uh, <laughs> great, great book. So Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's a great book. Now, how, would you, how do you guys go about getting your athletes into that state of flow and that mindset, that zone? It goes back to the mental imagery. So for me, when I work with someone, it's, having them become aware that there's nothing else around. And it comes back to breathing. It's a kind of recurring theme. The easier that you breathe, the lower that your heart rate can be, the more in sync you can be with your, you know, the autonomic nervous system, not having like that, those jitters of that fight or flight. I mean, there's a certain amount of stress that we need to perform. You know, that, that bell curve, obviously, you know, at that right in the middle, right in that zone. So learning how to breathe properly and at proper rate, everyone has their own specific breathing rate where their body performs at the optimal zone. So identifying that and then teaching athletes and clients how to breathe at that rate, kind of pushing them into stressful situations using mental imagery and then saying, now get out of it, right? So how do you balance back to your baseline? How quickly does it take you? Now you have the tools to say, okay, I'm super stressed. Another way that we've done that is to show a video of a performance and watch how their body responds to it. See if their heart rate spikes, you know, with with gymnastics, as I spend a lot of time with with youth athletes, they get so stressed out before they get on the balance beam. You've got this tiny little beam, you've got these flips, these cartwheels and stay on there and they get really stressed. They psych themselves out. So it's like, okay, taking it a step back. Let's see how your body is responding as you watch yourself. You know, what's getting tense? Now tracing it backwards from there, breathe out of it. And so it's retraining the way that they approach the event. So this can be translated into any event if you're in the batter's box. You know, how are you approaching getting in? You know, are you anticipating the worst happening? You know, or are you going in level-headed? Your breathing's right on cue. And now you're simply focusing at the task at hand because you've learned how to tune out that outside world by focusing on what you control within your own body. And you've done it so many times. I mean, anybody that's done anything in the Rise of Superman there, it's not even going to go snowboarding for the very first time and be in a flow state. It's something that's practiced time and time again. So when that moment happens... You get a lot luckier, just put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I hear that. That's when you hit a home run. It's purely, exactly. kind of, it's kind of luck because you don't feel it happening. It's just kind of your, every home exactly. run I've ever hit in my life, it was a swing like butter. That's the best way to describe it's it. It's effortless. Uh-huh. Yeah. It becomes automatic. You know, you train the body and the brain to perform together and it just becomes automatic. When you think too much is when you make mistakes. It's when you show your vulnerabilities when you're overthinking what you should be doing, when your body, the muscle memory of it, you perform the same routine a thousand times. Why are you going to go into it thinking something different? You know, you're going to throw yourself off, trust yourself, you know, build upon the skills that you've been working so hard to do. You know, batters will start striking out when they make change in their stance, you know, like one little shift here and your whole entire swing goes out the window. Or vice versa, you're in a slump and now you switch it another way and be like, wait, okay, now everything's connecting. That makes sense earlier that uh, you did CrossFit. So what if we shift it to CrossFit? I mean, because you're doing 
high volume under high fatigue and it's like it's it's you know like you want to throw up and it's just like where where do you even think of, yeah i know right where do you think of trying to do that whereas i look at my my coach who's an elite athlete this guy's phenomenal and when i see him doing his workouts it's just like this stern straight face nothing right. changes there's no emotion and you see it on matthew frazier you see it on a lot of these guys uh-huh. And is that just something that athletes have, you know, versus someone like me where I wear my emotions on my sleeve? You know, if- I think it's something that can be learned. And because in CrossFit, when you are going ponies to the wall and uh, just nonstop, a lot of it comes down to the skill and the practice skill. If you are doing muscle ups, if your form is right, you're going to be using a lot less energy than if you're trying to do it strict or you're all over the place and wiggling. So by getting that form, you're breeding more confidence. And with that confidence, you may not need to panic. You shouldn't be panicked in the first place. You know, there's a couple different events that I've done that I'm rushing, I'm rushing, and rushing, and realize to myself, your time's just fine. You back it down the next time out, and that level of excitement goes down in a good way because now you're using less energy, and your performance actually is starting to go up. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's why I probably suck at CrossFit. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been doing it. I mean, it sounds like you get that all out one rep max powerlifting. That that makes sense. But if you're doing, you know, 315 deadlifts for 50 times plus muscle ups plus handstand walks. <laughs> yeah. You got to take it in stride. It's a nine inning game. You know? yeah, yeah, I know. That's what my coach always says. He's like, yeah, you don't win in the first round. You know, you win in the last no, round. Exactly. I mean, you look at Rich Froning. I, I would study him and watch him and he never seemed to be in a rush. He knew what he could do. He knew how to do it. And he let everyone else burn themselves out around him. And he kept straight, kept the course. And well, five later, there he is. Yeah. And I mean, you, you hear it all the time when people say, if you walk up to the bar thinking you're not going to lift it, you're definitely not going to lift it. And I think same right. same's true probably for a wad or a workout, you know, if you're not going to do it. Because we have a wide array of listeners that listen to the show from powerlifters to CrossFitters, baseball players, football players. So it's just trying to jump in on as many sports as possible. You know, we dabbled in them all. You know, it's we love them all. And it's, it's the same basic principles. If you tell yourself you're not going to do something, you're not. It's that brain. You've already had a defeatist attitude going into it. Whereas you tell yourself, all right, this might be a little bit harder, but what the hell? I got nothing to lose. You just go for it and you surprise yourself. You're only limited by your own limitations. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. And jumping back, I'm kind of all over the place here, but jumping back because I had this question written down earlier when we were talking about the heart rate variability and everything what is your methods on periodization um you know do you have like do you guys practice or jim do you guys practice like a deload week or do you do um taking a full week off and just recuperating the body sort of because the central nervous system also needs time to like kind of heal itself Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i notice this with myself i'm usually on a four-week program you know week four is my deload but I've mm-hmm. noticed over the last three months that it's not enough anymore, that you know, I'm 36 <laughs> years old. And when I go really right. hard, um, when I push the limits for three weeks, I need two and a half weeks. Like my body, week one of my program, I'm junk. So what's your method? <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. I, I just dealt with it last week. So <laughs> I, I wish I could make the answer so cut and dry and make you cookie cutter. Yeah. But as you said, you're 36 and your body's different than a 26-year-old, different than a 16-year-old. Yeah. Your experience versus someone else's experience. Genetics play a role into that as well. You know, one powerlifting program may not be the same for every single person. I mean, myself, I went to a 5-3-1 just because now I only have to do it once a week. And there is that deload week in there as well. Others, I like to use more of an undulating type of periodization, especially leading up to an event. If it is just the business executive playing the game of life, we may end up doing a uh, inroad, true high intensity training and more linear on that. So really a lot comes down to the goals. A lot comes down to genetics and recovery. A lot comes down to age and uh, injuries and prior injuries that someone had. So with each individual, 
you know, programs are not just something that, yep, let's do, we're going to do a, a workout of the day and everyone's going to do it and everyone's going to progress the same. That's not right. I mean, when I personally write a program for somebody, labs may actually come into play. I want to know so much about the person and it takes many, you know, four to six hours oftentimes when I write up a program for somebody. He writes my programs for my bodybuilding competitions for the last two years, you know, so it's a totally different type of training that I would have to do versus, you know, in the gyms and with cardio and overcoming injuries and Achilles strain. So finding the right ways to tweak it and, and basing it around, we did a lot with the heart rate variability. You know, there'd be some days where my body was just shot and it was not going to put up a 400 pound hip thruster, no matter how much I wanted it to, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> And you just, you go and you make the adjustments as necessary. And one week might be completely shifted from where it started out in the initial training phase. But you got to listen and you got to train smart. Yeah, I wish we could give that one size fits all, but <laughs> there's so much schooling that goes into play. But if done right, an individual can and should thrive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was telling someone today, I was like, Dude, I've been in my body for 36 years. I've figured it out. <laughs> you know, like, and, <laughs> and just when I say I, I figured it out, it's like, nope, <laughs> no, buddy. You're getting exactly. older. We're going to shift it around a little bit. Your sleep's crap. So it's going to shift. It's going to change. And it's weird because some days I sleep for four hours and I go out and have the best workout of my life. And I haven't figured that part out yet. Is, <laughs> is there any light you guys can shed on that one? Because it's like I sleep for four hours. And I'll go out and, you know, next day and I'll have a weird PR that I didn't even see coming. So sleep is one of those very tricky topics. You know, the average amount that people should be getting 7.6 hours of sleep at night. However, it depends the quality of sleep within those amount of hours. If you are having four hours of awesome uninterrupted sleep and your body is just waking up revved up and ready to go. That might be all you need for that day, depending on what you were doing the day before. You know, if you're sleeping for seven hours, but you're tossing and turning every half hour, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like crap and your performance is absolutely not going to be where you want it to be. Creating consistent routines in life, you know, specific events before bed, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, consistency, one of the main factors for performance and finding that proper balance. What did you eat the night before? You know, thinking about it in terms of that. What you drink the night before? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that all. Also, I find some individuals that get too much sleep are too much in a parasympathetic state. If you are, you know, going two four hours of sleep, theoretically you should be exhausted, but you may be so amped up and jacked up at that time and get that slight moment of hyper focus as if you were going into battle, or if some saber tooth tiger is about that to get you. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Uh, like that makes a lot of sense. Now it's kind of starting to jive with me, but I'm not going to go and sleep four hours a day and, you know, hope that it works. Long term is probably not the best investment. Right. <laughs> Do you guys believe in like sleep banks? Like if you don't sleep enough, your body banks it out, you know, like and it kind of accumulates. And then you have like one day where you'll just like sleep for like 14 hours if you've been sleeping five hours a day. No, no, I don't buy into that. <laughs> You know, it may work for some, but I think they're definitely the odd ones out in terms of sleep. The body's going to need what it needs if you're fighting an infection, if you're overly stressed, if you've got a lot of changes going on, you know, you, you may require more than you normally would. That if you're consistently waking up at the same time and you're putting in the same effort every day, you know, you're probably going to be okay between like six and seven hours. It really just depends on the person and what they're doing. But if you sleep 14 hours a day one day, you're going to wake up and you're going to be so lethargic and it's going to throw off everything else in your day, your eating schedule and your work schedule, your workout schedule. And now then that negative impact kind of transfers and continues on probably for the next couple of days. So banking your sleep in one day is not the most ideal method. A lot of it has to do with hormone balances. I mean, once the adenosine starts creeping up, you're going to be tired. You need to sleep. Individuals that may be able to stave it off a little bit may not feel as tired as long. I guess the idea of a sleep bank may just be uh, different hormone control levels in that individual during that particular period. Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't do that. I sleep when I need sleep. <laughs> you know, like, right. And I try to keep it as consistent as possible. But since we're on this topic of recovery, hot and cold. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> because personally, I 
cold does not work with my body. And it came from baseball. They're like, ice your arm, ice your arm, ice your arm. It never mm-hmm. did anything for me. In fact, I think it always aggravated my elbow. But when I threw a heat heating pad or a hot bag on there for the first time, it was like, oh, my God, a light bulb went off. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Because I also Sona like works great with my body. And I know it's probably it's like you said earlier, it's not cookie cutter. You know, everyone's different. But what are your thoughts on both of those for recovery? You can only go through the research journals and what we actually have done. So ice is nice. Feels good. It gates pain. But for recovery, it actually slows recovery in all ways. It slows blood flow. It slows nerve impulses. So your body's not going to recover as fast. It will help bring down inflammation, which inflammation causes pain. But at the same time, inflammation also brings in all the healing mediators that your body needs. Heat, you may end up having too many healing mediators, causing more pain in that case. So utilizing a contrast therapy, going from ice bath to heat back and forth, that's been shown to stimulate much faster healing than just one or the other. Throw all the gear on there. What about red light therapy? I mean... That's something Love that absolutely really because I just started reading up on it and, you know, I was introduced to it about a year and a half ago. And again, Kuwait being Kuwait, you know, <laughs> there's no like red light saunas here. There's nothing. There's no infrared saunas. There's no red light therapy places. So we're I'm very limited. And it's like if right. I want to order it, like it's not even worth it. So what are your thoughts on it and how does it help? It depends on the frequency and there could be a whole class, not just a podcast, but a whole class on photobiomodulation. And a lot of it is still unknown, which is the fun part about it. But when it comes to just doing like a 620, 680, 710 nanometers, it's very superficial. Depends on the drive and the jewels that you're utilizing. It's superficial. So it will, in that case, it'll help with fat loss. It will help with collagen formation on the surface, wound healing, things of that nature. When you can drive it a little bit deeper down into subcutaneous layers, now you're also stimulating healing of the body. Uh, 810 to 910, 970-ish is pretty ideal for that. And the idea, we have some laser here and a red light here that we like to utilize, even using certain wavelengths and frequencies for men. On your your nether region can stimulate testosterone production. I heard about that. Off. That's what I want. That was my next question. That so you're in Kuwait, so you can just go around with no pants on and get the same thing from the sun. <laughs> just not too long, you get a little burn. I know, right? <laughs> but for those of us that don't have the sun all year round like that, yeah, you can shine some laser down there. I like the idea of hanging it up on the wall, create a little closet for yourself if you can get the red lights for that, and use it as almost like your little sauna, if you would but there's no heat coming off it. So you're literally just getting the red light therapy. That's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, the reason why I ask some of these questions is because the the fitness industry has been bastardized so much with so many ploys and plots and, you know, Mm -hmm. this will make you lose weight or this will do this. And (laughs) it's just like, you never know these days, you know, like the, you know, the Sona suits that pop out and. Right. A lot of what they come out with is great marketing. And the marketing is what drives that. But there's so many gym, or I should not call it gym because I'm gym and I like my science, but bro science, we'll call it, behind a lot of things. And even if it is founded on a decent principle, the product in itself may not be up to caliber, up to the quality. Is the red light therapy being used? Is there enough watts and gels to be able to be driven deep enough? Is the quality of the light proper? It all comes down to the quality and how it's made, or is it just a big price tag saying that it is something that it might not be? I mean, supplement industry is a great, it's all that about right quality, now. quality, quality, and then actual research, not looking into a muscular development or a flex magazine or men's health. They literally will take a sentence that may fit a nice headline from a research study. Actually, read the research journals. Look at the more than just the abstract, actually do a critical appraisal and see, you know, is there any bias to it? Is the individual who did the study the company of the product that they're trying to push? Well, was there a big enough sample size? Was there enough people in there being utilized? Does it apply to you or is it just on rats? Because the physiology of animals is different than humans. 
there's a lot of different factors on there. And if we can get past the marketing hype, because I got to say something, that marketing is pretty cool. The marketing, then you actually get the true nitty gritty that works. So real quick, before we do end this, since you brought up supplements, besides <laughs> creatine, okay, because creatine is something uh-huh. I firmly believe in, and it's always worked with me, and there's so much research to support it. And it's what, good for the brain, too. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. People usually yeah. neglect that part of it. It's like, oh, it's just going to give me bigger muscles and, you know, more water. Help me <laughs> it feeds the brain, too. Yeah. yeah. What are two or three other supplements that you guys like and have seen some, like, I mean, you know, seen some actual results from, and I'm not talking like fat burners or any of that, but like supplements, right. like whether it's like to stimulate the brain or memory or whatever, what are three other or two other supplements you guys can talk about real quick? Well, omegas, for sure, omega-3 fatty acids absolutely nourish the brain and help with cognitive function. It's a go-to. As long as taken in a high enough dosage, most dosages that you see on the bottle is not high enough. You want to get at least five grams of that good one. I mean, I like utilizing krill as long as you don't have a sensitivity to shellfish because it does class the blood-brain barrier. So your brain's getting the cognitive benefits as well as the rest of the body. Also, if you're talking about cognitive, I actually like using every once in a while a one gram of nicotine. It's not a typical GNC over the shelf, but just one gram of nicotine, chew it up, put it under the tongue. And the cognitive benefits from that, it's been shown test scores go up higher. Performance goes up higher. So if there's a, a talk I got to do, if there's people I'm meeting, if there's a program of somebody's that I need to write that really got to be on it, just one gram of that goes a long way. As it goes with a lot of other supplements, fully, fully believe in if you ain't testing, you're guessing. So always test for success. So utilizing something like the NutriEval test that uh, Genova has, you will know to the T what you're deficient in what you may have too much in, and then figuring out why. You know, individuals on a high ketogenic diet are often deficient in glutathione, and especially as we age, we are depleted in that as well. Uh, It's tough, as you already probably know, to actually get enough glutathione in as it is nutritionally, even with supplements. So sometimes it may be an IV therapy glutathione drip that might be necessary. Even when it comes down to protein, I know a lot of people have a protein might take in. may not need a protein. A lot of people ask, what protein do I need to take? And we go over what their diet actually is, and they're actually already getting enough protein. But if they're not getting enough protein, yes, that can be essential. But again, does somebody have a sensitivity to lactobumin? Whey. Whey is the go-to standard for most. But if you have a immunological response to whey protein and you don't even know it, you're not, one, you're not getting enough in. And two, you are going to be having a tougher time losing body fat and gaining muscle just because your body is having a higher state of inflammation going on at the time. You know, my go-tos during my training are, you know, grass-fed whey protein shakes, you know, unflavored, unsweetened cocoa powder and peanut butter. And my body done with the blood work says, no, you should not be eating any of those. So it's making your body work harder and preventing you from true gains that you could be making. So knowing all of that, I love my, my amino acids, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely something that I, I take every day, you know, especially while training. And that would be an essential amino, not just the brain's chain. Right. Because well, typically with the brain's chain, the leucine, you need to get it in the high enough doses, six to seven grams for even to be effective. But pretty much all that's doing is releasing glucose into your body. So having a full essential amino acid profile your body is not going to be taking other amino acids if it's deficient in it. So now you're getting that complete protein that you're needing for whatever your body may be deficient in the time. And I like utilizing them well enough even before you exercise, not just chug it and go because now it's being absorbed actually as you're pretty much done. But utilizing it ahead of time, especially if I'm doing Spartan races, to actually have it in the system and the body responds and recovers, I find far more efficiently. Wow, this talks an episode on its own, and I'd love to bring you guys back in, back <laughs> on, and talk about supplements in general. Me and Meg were talking about that the other day. We were like, yeah, we got to do an in-depth episode on supplements, so it would be awesome if Absolutely. we could bring you guys back on. We could have a lot of fun with that. Oh, yeah, we'd have a blast, man, and I could I could tell you about my theory on camel milk. <laughs> camel milk, you say? <laughs> I mean, for me personally, it's done wonders when I can get my hands on it. Fresh camel milk, you know, and I'm talking farm into a bottle to, you know, to refrigerate. Wow. 
And it's ha- I don't know if it's a placebo effect or if it legit has some properties to it that increase strength and performance, but it's really helped me. But um, That's fascinating. I'm going to look this up now. Absolutely. That's, yeah. <laughs> sounds and, interesting. It's And the locals, I work in Saudi Arabia too. So the locals over there, they swear by it. They swear that it heals you. It does everything. But oh. they say that about everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like turmeric. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And definitely I'll reach out so we can do this again. Yeah, no. Uh, thank absolutely. you so much for having us. You guys are great. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.